whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. So very simple. But again and again in the book of Acts, you will see the Apostle Paul starting a church plant, not by opening a church building, but by going into the community and declaring the gospel to anybody who would listen. And invariably, some people will be saved, and then he will organize the church. This is the Acts model that we see in the Word of God. Evangelism first, then organize the church. Now, let me hasten to say uh, that evangelism without church planting is not only not God's plan, but very often it neutralizes the impact of evangelism. When you reach people with the gospel and they're saved, they need a church to be a part of so they can grow and learn and serve God the way he wants them to. If you lead people to Christ, but there's no church, you leave them in a very difficult position. And very often uh, what will happen is believers that are reached but never put into a church, um, they will drift away from God. And a lot of times they will sometimes develop some crazy ideas about scripture and about theology and truth. So it's very important that we plant churches. But, um, and in, in fact, Ed Nelson said this, evangelism done right always results in church planting. He was talking about the work of evangelism, the work of the evangelist. And he said it always will result, if it's done right, it will result in church planting. So we need churches. But my challenge to you this morning is that evangelism needs to come first. You need to reach people with the gospel uh, first. It's very important. You know, it, it's common, and, and I've seen this uh, a lot of times in the United States um, and also in Ireland with missionary works. Somebody will be called to plant a church. And what will they do? They'll rent a building. Uh, they will start church services, and they will publicize those church services. And let me just say this. That often ha will work in the United States, and, and, you know, there are merits to that. I have found that to do things like that in a, in a place like Ireland, where there are very few believers and where we're really swimming upstream against culture uh, to try to share the gospel with people, the Catholic Church is, is there and, and that presents a problem. It doesn't work very well in Ireland to do it that way. The best thing to do is just do what you see in Acts. Go into a community, win people to Christ, and as you start seeing people saved, then start the church. And I would say that for a couple of reasons. One, Sometimes when we start the church and then we evangelize, sometimes that results in existing believers coming, and that can be problematic. Sometimes you'll get believers that will come uh, to a church, and um, you know sometimes they have been to lots of different churches. We found that when we started our church, uh, we really would have uh, you know rented a building and had a big uh, you know push and started the church in that way. That was our, our first um, thing that we did. But, you know, some families came along and, praise God, you know, they needed the church home. But in time, uh, they had gone from church to church, and in time, you know, they left. And that was discouraging for them and for us. And it, it's much better to get back to the Acts model where we evangelize first. Because, yes, you, you may find believers that will find out about your church and will need a church home. But, you know, you're going to be seeing new people saved and starting that church and that is very, very important. You know, if sometimes in starting a church, um, if you have people coming to the church, you can lose that sense of urgency that we need to reach people with the gospel. 
And the people in that community who most need that church and most need your ministry are the lost people in that community. And it is very important. You know, we cannot build uh, churches by hiding in the four walls of the building and waiting for the lost to come to us. You know, we're going to have to get out there. We are going to have to witness to people. We are going to have to befriend people in the community and try to share Christ with them. It's uncomfortable. It's scary. But it's the way we see God doing things in the book of Acts. You know, in, Acts, uh, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, we needn't turn there. I know that you know these verses very well. Uh, but Jesus said this, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You know, he didn't say, stay ye therefore and teach all nations. You know, wait for them to come to you. No, very often, and particularly as you get out into mission work, we need to be proactive. We need to not wait for people to come to us. We need to get out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with people around us. Now, you might ask this question, what kind of evangelism? In what ways should we try to reach people with the gospel? And let me say this, all kinds. Okay, using different uh, methods to reach people with the gospel. I truly believe that if we depend on God, he will bless every grassroots effort to get out there and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. I, I have found there is no perfect way, you know, to share the gospel. Uh, you know, it is um, sometimes, uh, you know, it is challenging work to get out and to witness to people, but God will bless those efforts to get out and share the gospel. Going door to door, tremendous way to share the gospel. Um, we've recently been using the John Project and challenging people to read the gospel of John and then going back and witnessing to them. And what a tremendous tool that has been. You know, preaching on the street, doing evangelism in various public venues, you know, doing Bible studies um, with people one-on-one -on -one or in a group, but gospel Bible studies where we try to help people understand the good news of Jesus Christ. I found in Ireland, people come from a Catholic background, and even though many, many people have walked away from the Catholic Church, people still have a lot of Catholic ways of thinking. And sometimes they initially hear the gospel, and yet they haven't heard enough to kind of uh, get around all the questions that they have about things that they heard growing up in Mass. And so doing a Bible study with them can be a great help. If they don't get saved the first time, it doesn't mean they're not interested, you know. Sometimes there's a need to sit down with the Bible and with a good gospel Bible study and uh, try to explain some of those things. Uh, we have used um, the Bible study that uh, Pastor Gilmore wrote, the Connection Bible study, and I found that a great help. It's simple and clear, and uh, you can use that to go through the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody. But, you know, I want to say this too. Do not overlook the power of personal friendships and of ways that you meet people naturally in the community. You know, sometimes um, as believers in the Western world, we have very little contact, very little natural contact with lost people, okay? Uh, you know, we can, uh, we're, can be very involved in church. That's great. We should be. Uh, you know, all our friends are Christians. Uh, you know, we may go to a Christian school or in this case a Christian college, you know. And if we're not careful, we have almost no natural contact with lost people. And I think it is important that we develop friendships with people that are unsaved around us so that we can get to know them and reach them with the gospel. You know, why are we afraid of that sometimes? Sometimes we are afraid, and rightly so, that lost people will drag us away from Christ 
and into sin. And we need to be careful, don't we? We need to walk with God. We need to be careful in our friendships with lost people about who is influencing who. You know, I remember as a teenager, a few relationships that I had with lost people, just friendships, you know, with guys my own age. And if I wasn't careful, they were influencing me more than I was influencing them. And we have to be careful of that. But you know what? We need to befriend lost people. And in our relationship with them, the gospel needs to be upfront and clear that we are Christians and that we love Jesus. And as we care about people and we become friends with them, God can use that uh, to help people be saved. Look at Luke chapter 15 for a moment. Luke and chapter 15, and I want you to look at verse 1 and 2. We know these verses very well. But Luke 15 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. You know, our Lord Jesus, our Master, our Savior, and our example... He associated with lost people. You know, he didn't just stay in his little clique and the people he felt comfortable about with, but he was willing to step outside. And can you imagine how uncomfortable it must have felt for Jesus, our holy Savior and Lord, to sit down with known sinners and to have a meal with them? Well, why did he do that? You know, he goes on to explain in the next few verses he says in verse 4, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? You know, Jesus' mentality was this. You know, the people that are already saved, you know, yes, I can minister to them. But the people who are lost, those who are the people who really need my influence in their lives. And you know, there are lost people that each of us have a connection to. And if we all just be burdened for them and care about them and, uh, you know, take time for them, you know, they might not get saved right away, but they will get saved. God will use us in their lives. Do you believe that? God can use us in their lives. How important that is. Turn then to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, I'm going to read to you verse 15 through 18. I love to preach expositorily, but by nature, the subject here, we really are preaching topically. Um, and so I know I'm flying through a lot of different verses, uh, but I trust that this will be a help. John chapter 17 and verse 15. It says, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And it's amazing, Jesus did not pray that we would be taken out of the world because the world needs our influence. Do you understand? You know, it would be, you know, I think of Ireland, you know, the time of St. Patrick, Patrick preached the gospel, many people were saved. And then what happened is we often call the monastic movement, 
where a lot of these believers, they founded monasteries and they retreated into the monastery because they thought, you know, if we get away from the world and the temptations of sin, well, then we'll really be able to live for Jesus. And you know what? It killed the movement of revival in the time of St. Patrick. Why? Because as believers, we've got to stay in contact with the lost world and reach them with the gospel, even though it's uncomfortable. Why? Because they need somebody to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And Jesus prayed for He said, don't take them out of the world, but sanctify them through thy truth and let them influence others for the good news, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that was his prayer for us. Now, here's something that somebody shared with me years ago that really helped me. You know, we can be influenced by the world if we befriend lost people and we are undercover Christians. Did you know that? Okay. If we befriend lost people, but we never pluck up the courage to tell them I'm a Christian and to try to witness to them, very often they will influence us. I remember starting a new job um, as a, I think I, I think I was a teenager. I was an older teenager. I was starting a new job. And I was a little bit worried. I thought, I'm going to be working with lost people all day long in this pharmacy, you know. And I thought, this is going to be scary, you know. Uh, what if, you know, I was uh, following the Lord and I had really made some decisions in my life not long before getting that job. And I thought, you know, what if this negatively affects me, you know. And somebody shared this truth. In fact, it was John Van Gelderen, Pastor Van Gelderen's brother. He, sh he shared this truth with me. He said, you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the whole armor of God. And he said it talks uh, about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And he explained this to me. It was so helpful. He said Roman soldiers wore sandals that had studs on them, like a pair of cleats, a pair of, uh, you know, shoes that you would wear for playing sports on a grass field. And he said the reason that they wore those um, sandals with the studs on them was to stop them being driven back when they were fighting. So they would jump into position and then they would crouch over those sandals and they would fight. And those uh, spikes would dig into the ground and it would stop them from being pushed back. You know, there is a protection for us in being salty believers who tell people that we're Christians and who attempt to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. And, you know, sometimes I think we it's easy for us, and I've done it myself, it's easy for us to take personal separation to an extreme where, you know, I want to follow God, therefore I'm not going to associate with lost people. And we need to be careful that we don't get to a balance where we're not like Jesus. Because the reality was, he did have lost people that were his friends. He was a part of their lives, and he was witnessing to them. And it's so important uh, that we, on the one side, that we declare the gospel but on the other side, that we develop friendships with lost people and try uh, to reach them for Christ. And gospel declaration keeps us from being pushed back uh, by contact with the world. You know, I think when we first came to Arklow, I greatly underestimated some of these casual ways of reaching people, just, you know, developing a friendship. I think of a guy in Arklow right now, his name is Raffle. His wife comes to our church, but Raffle is not saved. Raffle's my friend. You know, uh, we go camping together. We, you know, um, we'll do stuff together. He'll come over to my house. Uh, you know, I, I love Polish food, um, per particularly that kielbasa that uh, I'm making you hungry now here, so I apologize. Uh, but, uh, you know, every Easter, Raffle makes this authentic Polish 
sausage and it is so good. Oh, it's delicious. But, you know, I try to find common ground with Raffle. You know, and I witness to him all the time. You know, it's funny. When I witness to Raffle, he always goes quiet. He just says nothing. You know, he won't respond. But, you know, we're, I'm talking to him. I'm witnessing to him. And it's so simple. But I think I underestimated that when I first came to Arklo. You know, taking advantage of those natural connections that you have with people and witnessing to them. You know, it's helpful to get involved in the community. You know, at one point I was coaching Gaelic football uh, in Arklow, and I met a lot of the other coaches. It was a great way. Uh, Gaelic football is a, a traditional Irish sport. Play it with a round ball, and um, you can handle it, and you can kick it, and you can tackle. Very fast game, a very rough game, um, but it is lots of fun, okay? And uh, I got to coach that for a while. But it was a great way to get to know people in a natural way, you know? Um, you know, it's interesting when you're, when you're reaching people uh, in a natural way and you're doing, you know, doing um, evangelism like door-to-door -door and street preaching, a lot of times they compliment each other, you know? The other coaches would say, I saw you preaching on Main Street. What were, what were you doing? What were you talking about? And then we get to talk about the gospel. So amazing thing. Most recently, I've been involved in a community choir, and it's been great. I'm meeting... Um, a group of people there, a lot of them are professionals, they're hardworking people. I would never have met them a lot of times in my normal life. Um, they're just busy, they're working hard, but they love to sing together. And I've gotten to witness to some of them. Um, Heather, also our children go to an Irish speaking school in Ireland. And uh, my wife has gotten to meet some of the other moms. In fact, just this morning, she's sitting there on the couch and uh, some of the other school moms had sent her a picture. They were having coffee. And they said, we miss you. You're not here. We're having coffee and we miss you. And, you know, I really appreciate the way Heather has tried to befriend some of these ladies and has gotten to share the gospel with several of them. And uh, it's so exciting. So if we're always salty and we share the truth, and we need to be careful not to build bridges and never cross them. That is the error of what has been termed friendship evangelism, where we befriend lots of people, but we never witness to them. You know, that's bad for the person you're trying to reach, and it's bad for you, because you're going to be influenced uh, by their sinfulness. But, you know, when, our, when the gospel is center stage, uh, that can be a huge help. Now, I want to share with you uh, quickly one more thing. If you would turn to... Um, hold on. If you turn to Exodus chapter 18 for a moment, and I know we are running close on time. Very often, a church planter can run into what I call the church planter's conundrum. When you start out church planting, you do everything yourself, okay? And that's just the way it is, you know? You've got to roll up your sleeves. You know, I have cleared sewers, I have painted, I have done mechanical work, done all sorts of things that just had to be done. Uh, you know, as we started the church. But here's the church planter's conundrum. You start out doing everything, but if you keep doing everything, you will burn yourself out and you will actually limit the growth of the church that you're trying to establish, okay? It's, it's very, and it's a very keen balance. Uh, in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13, uh, Moses um, really is working himself to a standstill trying to do what God wants him to do. And his father-in-law has some very good advice for him. Um, Exodus chapter 18 and verse 13. And it says this, 
And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Now just pause there for a second. Moses thought that the way he was leading the nation of Israel was good. I mean, he really, Moses wanted to serve the Lord. God had called him. Uh, but his father-in-law could see something that Moses couldn't see. And it continues on uh, in verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And for time's sake, we will stop there uh, with reading that. But notice what uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, sees. He says, you know, for two reasons this is not good. Number one, you're going to wear away. And number two, the people that you are serving are going to wear away. For those two reasons, it is not good. And, you know, it is very, very important as we work in church planting that as the church grows, we very early on get other people serving in the church. It's very important. I heard of a story recently, um, you know, a man who planted a church and he has been there for many, many years and praise God for the work that he's done. But the church has never grown beyond, you know, a small number. And the reason being because this man, he insists on doing everything himself. And he, he fears that if he, if he delegates some of those tasks to others, they won't do them exactly the way he does them. And so he has limited the growth of the church. You know, it's very important uh, that we learn uh, to uh, allow others to serve and to help. It's very important. It's important for the growth of the church. It's important for their growth. And uh, it's very important. And let me just uh, say this as well. Very early on, get people helping and giving ideas. You know, it's very exciting when you see believers grow and they, they develop a measure of maturity and they're able to have input and they have great ideas. We have had ministry ideas that we've done in the last year in our church that didn't come from me. And, you know, that's so exciting, you know. Someone in the church said, why don't we do this? And I thought, that's actually a really good idea. Let's do it. And I have found that input eases output. In other words, if, if your church is a place where not only uh, do people serve, uh, but they can have input and they can have ideas and those, the good ideas will be put into practice, you know, that encourages people to serve and to help. So very important. And let me just close with this because I know we're out of time. You know, all the methodology in the world will never advance the ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ. It never will. You know, what we need more than anything is the power of God. Revival, His Holy Spirit working. You know, I have come to the conclusion that revival is the only way that strong, functioning New Testament churches will be planted in Ireland. And of course, Ireland is my world. It's my, you know, what I'm burdened about, what I'm passionate about. But, you know, it's the same any place on planet Earth. 
you know, we can have right methodology. We can, you know, evangelize. We can reach people with the gospel. Uh, but, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, Paul said this, uh, it is God who gives the increase. It is God who gives the increase. And we need to have an active dependence on the Holy Spirit in church planting. Or even, even a, 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 an Acts methodology will not result in churches being planted. So important. You know, and I, we praise God for the mercy drops. But, you know, I think we need a deluge. You know, it's amazing. You look through history and times of revival and how many churches were planted in times of revival, you know. Many churches were planted, sometimes in a short time. Why? Because when you are ahead of a wave that is the move of God and you are trying to reach people with the gospel and organize churches, a remarkable things can happen. And I think we need to keep crying out to God for revival. Praise God, you know, churches are being planted. But, you know, I think a lot more would be if we saw a mighty revival. And uh, so I don't know uh, what your calling is. I don't know whether God has called you to church planting, but let me just challenge you in this way. Uh, the things that I have said, really many of them can apply to all of us. And let's take what uh, we've looked at from the Word of God and uh, let's allow God to use that in our lives. Let's put something into practice this week uh, that we heard from this message and God will help us. Pastor Brian, you want to come?